Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that we can come into your holy, holy presence. Father, I pray this morning that this service would be a time of entering into your presence and hearing your voice. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want to say welcome to everybody who's here. Welcome to those of you who are watching uh, with us online. Just want to remind you that we're there on Facebook and Twitter at HBC Tullahoma. YouTube is Highland Baptist Tullahoma. You can look up either one of those there. Uh, you can share those, heart those, like those, subscribe to YouTube. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook. You'll get those notifications every time we go live. And then we also have our phone live streaming. Uh, you can call our church office at 931-455-0645, and we'll be glad to give you that. That number. If you're here in person and you'd like that number, see me after the service and I'll be glad to give that to you. If you're at home, go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you can download today's worship bulletin as well as those children's worship bulletins. If you need the children's ones, they're in the windowsill over here. If you need the regular bulletin, our ushers will be glad to give you one. Uh, at any time you can just walk back there, they'll give you one or just raise your hand and they'll come to you with it. Uh, and then also while you're there on highlandbaptistchurch.com under the info tab, download our prayer list. List. There are quite a few that we've added to the prayer list, so just wanted to make you aware of that also. But so glad to have everybody here this morning. It's good to be back from Canada, <laughs> that they finally let us out of there. <laughs> uh, we, we enjoyed it, we loved it, but it's good to be back here uh, in Tullahoma, and glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Good morning, all. I know it'll be mentioned later on by the chairman of the deacon, or the deacon of the week, but I want to put a plug in for the song service tonight. We're going to have the Phil Sunday sing, and I know over the last few years we've not done that a lot, but uh, there's nothing like a family sitting around singing, and that's what we are, a family of God. So join us tonight. There's several people that will be singing, and there will be some congregational songs too, and see here. Join the choir. Why don't you stand with us and sing, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place, 412. Ladies. Oh, uh-huh. 
Amen. We come to our missionary moment and we want to recognize our missionaries, the Hernandez uh, family. They are serving in South Florida near Miami. Uh, you would think that that's a highly populated area. It's a lot of rich people who live in that area. Uh, but in fact, it has one of the highest percentage of citizens uh, living below the poverty level. And nearly 80% of those do not know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And so uh, they came here uh, spent most of their lives in Central America. Uh, they have come and planted a church, Iglesia Batista de Quindel, uh, and they minister to his, the Hispanic population there in, in Miami. But they also have a heart to reaching the next generation. So they've also started an English-speaking uh, service also. So we want to remember the Hernandez family uh, who are serving there in Miami, Florida this morning for our missionaries. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for missionaries who have answered the call. We thank you for the Hernandez uh, family. We pray, God, that you will use them and bless them even this morning as they are gathering uh, to worship you there in Miami as they're having multiple services. Lord, we pray that you will just pour out your spirit upon them as, they, as he shares the gospel. We pray, Father, that you will uh, just be with the people who are hearing the word of God, those who are lost uh, with 80% there. We know there will be many who may be in that service. And so we pray, God, that you will pour out your spirit upon the people, draw them to faith in Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And so we just ask your blessings upon them as well as all of our missionaries across North America uh, and even around the world. Keep them all safe in your arms. Continue to provide for them and continue to lay upon our hearts, Lord, uh, that in our giving every Sunday, we're giving to support those missionaries. And so, Father, I pray that we'll give generously. Father, I pray that especially when we have those special offerings for our state missionaries, our uh, North American missionaries, and our international missionaries that we would give to to support those uh, in particular. But Lord, we just ask your blessings upon them. Provide every need that they have, and we just ask God for your will to be done. Bless us as we worship you this morning. We know there are many, Lord, uh, who are hurting in their hearts because of lost loved ones, uh, the loss of loved ones this past week and in the weeks past. And we just ask your special blessings of grace and mercy and comfort and peace for their hearts and for their lives. Father, we ask you to strengthen them and to use them in a great and mighty way. Bless our service this morning, Lord, as we give ourselves to you, and may you be glorified and honored. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Let me just remind you of a couple of quick things, uh, especially if you're at home uh, there. You can go to our church website at HighlandBaptistChurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side. Click the Give Online tab there. Uh, easy platform to set up your online giving for a recurring gift or a one-time gift. Encourage you to do that also if you're here in person. But we do have our offering plates down at the front and at the back at the doors. Uh, there are offering envelopes in your pews. Uh, if not, you can find some at the door uh, as you leave this morning. So be sure to, to pick up those and put your offering in. Uh, next Sunday, we have Mercy's Well, who's going to be here. Uh, to, they're going to probably start about 10 or 15 minutes before 1030, just singing a few of their songs. But the, the regular part of our service will begin at 1030 as normal. Uh, so come and join them a, a little bit early if you want. Uh, but be here at 1030 and we'll begin and they'll uh, sing about half of the service and then I'll be bringing the message. So share with others, invite your friends to come. Uh, Mercy's Well has blessed us before and they'll bless you uh, next Sunday. 
Uh, a word also to share with you, the women's restroom that is down on this level at the end of the hall is out of order this morning, so you'll need to use the ones that are up in the fellowship hall or upstairs uh, either way. And then I just wanted to share, because I know a lot of people wanted to know, are we going to share about our trip from Canada? We're going to be doing that in two weeks from today on August the 14th. Uh, next Sunday, of course, we've got Mercy's Well coming, uh, and it was too quick for us to get things ready for this Sunday, so we'll be doing that on the 14th, so you come uh, Dwayne and Ella and myself will be sharing about that in our morning service. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful blessing. We had an awesome time. Can't wait to share uh, all of that with you uh, then. So, Brother Mike, come and lead us again. That man sure can talk fast, can't he? <laughs> Take your hymnals and turn to 411. Let's sing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Ladies. I didn't give the guys heads up up there to make sure. <laughs> 32, yeah, that's good. And, and the reason I speak so fast, I have job security as an auctioneer later.
children's church will be gathering during this song over on the piano side. I want to make that uh, known. Um, take your hymnals now and stand with us as we sing 417, Trusting Jesus. Said we trust Well, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew's gospel, if you will. 
Uh, just want to remind you after worship this morning, because this is our fifth Sunday, uh, it's our meal that we have as well as our sing uh, tonight. And so I want to encourage you to stay for the meal uh, in the fellowship hall uh, right after the service. Even if you didn't bring anything, I think there's plenty uh, back there. The church provided the meat, so there'll be plenty for you uh, to eat back there. So please stay with us uh, and fellowship with us this morning. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, I've entitled, or verse 21 through verse 28, I've entitled this message, A Faith That Won't Let Go. And you're going to see why that is as we get into the text here this morning. But we just want to begin, if you will, with verse 21 and verse 22. Let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying... Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer this morning, we know, Lord, that the devil is at work. He is at work around us in our world. He is at work in our nation. He is at work in our families. He is sometimes even at work in our own lives. But Lord, we know that you are greater than he doesn't even compare. And so Father, I pray this morning that you will help us to see that we can have victory over the devil. We can have a faith that won't let go like this Canaanite woman had in her heart and in her life. So help us to see the truths from your word this morning that we might apply to our lives. Lead us through this passage in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. My prayer is that through this passage, you'll see and desire and know that we need to have a faith that won't let go in our own lives. That's the kind of faith that we need to live by. I want you to see, first of all, the act of Jesus, the act of Jesus. You see it there in verse 21. So don't miss the significance of what's said in verse 21. Let's look at that verse one more time. And Jesus went away from there... And withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, that's what it says there. He went to the district, to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. It's more than just a pleasure trip uh, that Jesus is taking here. It's more than just a trip for Jesus to get away from everything, to have a time of relaxation, a time of rest because of all the miracles and work that he's been doing. When the scripture says that Jesus went into Tyre and Sidon, uh, the Bible is telling us there that he went out of the Jewish territory and into the Gentile territory. Now, of course, when you look at Matthew's gospel in the whole of his gospel, he's writing his gospel in order to show that Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews. But he also has a much wider purpose in his gospel. Because when you get to the end of Matthew's gospel, that's where we get the Great Commission. And and, and Jesus said to his disciples there, go into all the world and make disciples. So Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus isn't just a national Messiah for the Jews, but he's also a worldwide Savior for everyone who will believe. 
And so Jesus is intended to be the Savior of the whole wide world. When you read Mark's gospel, Mark says when Jesus gets over into Tyre and Sidon, it says that he couldn't be hid. And that's certainly true in every area of life. Jesus cannot be hidden. I mean, think about it. If Jesus is in a church, then he can't be hidden. The word will get out. People will know that Jesus is in that church. Now, for Jesus to be in the church, we are the church. We're not talking about the building. We're talking about us as believers. And so it's true that if Jesus is in the church, the word will get out. People will know Jesus is there. It can't be hidden. It's true also in the family. If Jesus is in your family, he can't be hidden. The neighbors will find out that Jesus is there. People who come into contact with that family will know that Jesus is there because Jesus cannot be hidden. That's also true in our own individual lives. If Jesus is in your life, sooner or later... Sooner or later, people are going to know that there's a difference in your life, and that difference is the Lord Jesus Christ. If they don't see any difference between you and the world, I'd be thinking about looking at my heart to make sure I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Think about what was said about the disciples when the Bible says that the people took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It's not so much what you say that causes people to know. It's the way you live. It's how you act. It's how you conduct yourself. If Jesus is in your life, then he's going to make a difference in your life and he cannot be hidden. One of the people who came to Jesus, and many people who came to Jesus, but in this particular verses here, we find out that this woman from Canaan came to Jesus. Now, this experience of Jesus with this woman is in many ways one of the strangest and even one of the difficult uh, passages to understand in these experiences and all the ministries of, of Jesus. Yet in another way, it's also one of the most wonderful uh, experiences because it tells us how Jesus acts in a very important matter. It's a message that brings great blessing to those who are parents. Here's a woman who has a parent problem. She brings her problem to Jesus. And what Jesus does is one of the most exciting and helpful experiences for us that's ever recorded in the life of our Lord. Think with me, if you will, as we move through the successive stages here of this passage. I want you to think about this agonizing woman. Look at verse 22 again. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Here's a woman who has a problem. And verse 22 tells us that she has a child problem. She has a daughter who is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, of course, if you're a parent, you know that there's no problem in all of this world like a problem with a child. 
We need to understand that, that if we're going to have children, you're going to have problems. That just goes with the territory. Children are always going to bring some problems. You were a child and you brought some problems into your parents' life. Sometimes I think what goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. And some of us are reaping what we sowed with our parents. You know, when we got married, I had three, th three theories and no children, but then we had three children and no theories. <laughs> Everybody's got an idea what they would do till they have them. You know, there are no easy solutions to problems that parents experience when children come along. This was a problem, though, that had developed around a precious little girl. Mark says that she was the woman's young daughter. The word there means that she was the apple of her eye. She was her special daughter. I'll tell you, I love Christopher, but there is nothing sweeter than a little girl. I always prayed. I, I had two brothers and I always prayed, Lord, I wish I'd have had a sister. And God blessed me with two daughters to start with and then Christopher. He's a blessing too. But here's this woman who has this little girl who is the apple of her eye, and yet she's a mother who has a problem. And the scripture tells us that the devil has made a full-on assault attack on this woman's daughter. He was severely oppressing her with a demon. Now, we know that the children of our world today are under attack from the devil. And when children come into our society and are brought up in our kind of world, they're going to be subjected to the attacks of the devil. I don't know of a time when children have faced the kinds of problems more than they are facing today. Our children go to school and many times they're often told that, that, that their existence is the result of an accident. They're told they're nothing more than an animal. They're subjected to profanity and to alcohol and to drugs and problems even in their own families. If there's ever been a time when God's people ought to pray for children, it's now. This woman, we see this woman's agony of heart is an agony that could be experienced by any one of us. And there may be some who are here this morning or some who are watching online. You're going through an agonizing time. You're experiencing some difficulties in your own family with your children. Here's this woman who is on the verge of losing her daughter. You either know that in your own life or you've seen that in someone else's life who was about to lose their child. You may be in that same situation, though. You've tried to live Jesus in front of them, and in spite of the very best that you were able to do, you seem to be on the very verge of losing your child. The Bible says this woman, she comes to Jesus. And verse 22 tells us that she cries unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. That word crying there indicates the genuine agony of her heart. It shows us just how deep this agony really is in her soul. Notice what she doesn't do. She doesn't come demanding of Jesus. Jesus, I've been, listening, I've been living for you. I've been trying to follow you. Jesus, you owe me this. She doesn't come demanding. She comes pleading. Please, God, have mercy on me. 
Notice here, she, she pleads on the basis, not on the basis of what she deserves. She's pleading on the basis of the mercy of God. And of course, that's how, how we all have to be when we come to Jesus with a problem. We don't come demanding because we've been such perfect parents, but we come pleading for the mercy of God. Mercy is something you need, but you don't deserve. All of us are dependent daily on the mercy of God. Let me tell you a little secret here, especially to those of you who are here this morning as moms. Understand this. There are no perfect parents. Did you get that? There are no perfect parents. Despite what social media tells us, despite what we see on Facebook or what we see on Instagram, and we think, oh, they have the perfect family. Oh, they have the perfect little kids. Oh, their marriage is so perfect. That's what we put. We put the best out there on social media. But there are no perfect families, and there are no perfect parents. We can try to do the very best we can, but there's not a single one of us here who are perfect. And there are times when we haven't done everything we should have done for our child. There may be times when we haven't been as close to the Lord ourselves as we ought to have been. Sometimes, I mean, let's just be honest here this morning. Sometimes we've just blown it. Blew it as a dad, blew it as a mom. We, we mistreated our child by the mistakes we made or maybe by our wrong relationships with, uh, to God. But when we come to the Lord, we don't come on the basis of us being perfect. We don't come because I did everything right all the time. We come to the Lord because we desperately need His mercy to help us in our situation. This poor Gentile woman did something that all of us ought to do when we have children problems with our children. She brought her situation to Jesus. I don't know what your situation is. It may be down here on the scale of things. It may be way up here on the scale of things, but it doesn't matter where it's at. You need to bring it to Jesus. That's one thing that you can do for your children. There are a lot of things we ought to do you ought to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You ought to constantly have communication with them. You should never break that communication with your children. You ought to have some guidelines and some standards. Uh, you ought to be consistent in enforcing those standards uh, in, with your children. But when all else fails, there's one thing that you can always do that nobody can stop you from doing, and that's to take your child to God in prayer. There's hope for a child who has a praying mother and a praying father. And if you're here this morning and you're just the mother, you're, you're, just, you're the only one who's seeking to follow the Lord and the father isn't, you keep on praying because there's hope for that child. If you're here this morning and you're the father and the mother's absent, you keep on praying because you're the hope for that child. We ought to stir up heaven for, uh, with our prayers because our children ought to be important to us. Uh, you know, I wonder about some parents today. Sometimes people have problems with their children and it seems not to bother them at all. 
They, they just seem to go about their business and, and all they care about is, is that their children don't get in their hair. Children ought to be important to us, vital to us. You, you had everything to do with their coming into this world and you have a great deal to do with, with their eternity and where they'll spend it. You ought to take your children to God in prayer. So notice here, first of all, there's an agonizing mother. Secondly, I want you to see the amazing master. The amazing master. Look at verse 23, if you will. Jesus, he absolutely surprises us when we read this passage. Notice the response of Jesus to this poor hurting woman. It it seems to us from our perspective at first glance that this is a brutal response. It's not at all what we expect of Jesus. And it doesn't seem to be the kind of Jesus we know. But there's one little key that I think will help us understand what we're going to see here in the silence and the statements of Jesus in this experience. It comes down a little bit further in verse 28. When it all comes to this marvelous climax and Jesus talks about the great faith of this woman. So keep that fact in mind and it will help you to see through all of this what Jesus is doing and what he's developing and growing and encouraging her faith in. Don't ever let the things that you don't understand about Jesus shake the things that you do understand about Jesus. Never judge God's hand apart from God's heart. Notice first of all here in verse 23, his amazing silence. Notice what it says. This woman comes to Jesus. She's begging. She's pleading that he would do something about her daughter. And you would have thought Jesus would have said, well, sure, I'll take care of that right now. And right here immediately, he would have cured this girl. He would have solved the problem. And yet notice what the Bible says in verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. Silence. It's deafening. We don't like it. It makes us feel uncomfortable. Jesus doesn't say a word. Silence can sometimes be an embarrassing thing. She's made a request. She's poured out her heart in agony before Jesus. And he's not saying a word. You know what happens to us when we don't hear somebody say a word that somebody's came to for counsel? We want to jump in and and fix the problem ourselves. We want to jump in and answer for them. And that's exactly what the disciples do. Notice, and his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. It's amazing how heartless and uncaring these disciples seem. And we might be a little harder on them if it weren't for the fact that we're often amazed at how heartless and how uncaring we are. Why this amazing silence of Jesus? You have to look at what this woman said when she made her plea to Jesus. Notice, remember what she said? She said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, remember where did Jesus go? He went to Tyre and Sidon. That's a Galilee, that's Galilee, that's that's Gentile territory. She's a woman of Canaan. She's a pagan woman. She probably never been to a temple. 
She's had no Bible. She's had no access to the things of God. And yet she makes a statement to Jesus that indicates that she's heard that he's the Messiah of the Jews. That's what that phrase is, the son of David. It was a messianic term. The Jews were looking for a Messiah who would come, who would be the son of David. And so she's approaching Jesus on Jewish ground. Now understand that. She has no claim to Jesus on Jewish ground. So the silence of Jesus is very profound. What Jesus seems to be saying to this poor pagan woman is this, you don't have to approach me on Jewish ground. You don't have to become a Jew in order to get to me. The same thing's true today. You don't have to come through to Jesus through a religious door. You, the only door you have to come through to get to Jesus is the sinner's door. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So the silence of Jesus is very profound. He seems to be saying to this woman, you don't have to go through the Jewish religion to get to me. But more amazing than that, though, are the amazing statements of Jesus. Now, notice what the disciples' solution was. The disciples' solution was, get her out of here. Get her out of our hair. But Jesus says in verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, if you go back to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5 and verse 6, Jesus had said this to his disciples. He said, go nowhere among the Gentiles. Where is Jesus now? He's amongst the Gentiles. But at that point, he said, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus was trying to say that there, is, there was a historical order here. God's plan is that the gospel be first given to the Jew, than to the Gentiles. And that was made very plain and very clear by Paul over in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, where the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so Jesus is simply recognizing the historical order by which the gospel was given to the world. But notice in verse 25 that that didn't stop this woman, but she came. So Jesus said, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She could have turned and walked away and, and thought, I'm never going to get to Jesus. But verse 25 says, she came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. She drops all the Jewish stuff. Now she's persisting. She has a persisting faith. Her faith is a faith that won't let go. Hers is a faith that's determined, Jesus, you're the only one who can help me with my problem. See, understand this. That's the way you have to get if you're going to get your problem solved. It's not as easy as some people think to get Jesus to solve your problems. Most of, most of us want to meander along through life kind of doing our own thing. And then when some problem comes up, we want to pop down on our knees and say, Jesus, work it out for me. And then we get up and we try to live the way we want to live. You know, we, we look at Jesus like he's supposed to be some kind of heavenly bellboy who just comes running down and, and solves our problem, and then we go on our way. No, it doesn't work that way. 
When you have a problem, Jesus is not only going to help you work out your problem, Jesus is going to do a whole lot more in your life. It's a rugged process to deal with problems in this life and to take them to Jesus. Because when you start going to Jesus with your problems, you're going to find out a whole lot of things about yourself that maybe you didn't realize. You're going to see areas of your life that maybe you haven't been totally committed to the Lord. You may begin to realize, hmm, Maybe that's why I'm experiencing some of what I'm going through. You're going to see failures. And you're going to see things in your life that are not like they ought to be. While you're wrestling with that problem, God is dealing with your life. You know, so many times we've slacked off, haven't we? So many times we've not prayed the way we ought to pray. And then, boom, a problem hits. It'll make you go to praying like you ought to have been praying all along. Hers is a persistent faith. She says, Lord, help me. And then Jesus says this in verse 26. He answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. That sounds harsh. That sounds cruel. But understand a little background here. In those days, the Jews regarded themselves as the children... And they regarded anybody that wasn't a Jew as a dog. That's what the Jews called the Gentiles. That's not what Jesus thought about it. When Jesus said it's not right to take the children's bread and to cast it before the dogs, keep in mind two things. He changes the word here. Jesus has already used the word dogs. If you go back to Matthew chapter 7 where he says, don't give that which is holy to the dogs. The word Jesus used there was a word that was used for old mangy dogs that wandered up and down the streets of Jerusalem. But Jesus speaks to this woman. The Greek word is changed here. That's not the word that he uses. The word that he uses here is a form of the word that refers to little puppies. That's one thing to see an old mangy dog out there, but when you see that little puppy, your heart melts, doesn't it? He's just licking and he's just wagging his tail and and he's just so cute. Mark adds a significant word here in Mark 7 verse 27. Jesus says, let the children be fed first. And that word first is so important. First implies a second. It implies historical order to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So notice what this woman did when Jesus said that word. First, he cracks the door for her. And the moment that Jesus cracks the door of opportunity open, that woman goes rushing in to the presence of Jesus and notice what she says in verse 27. Yes, Lord, that's true. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's saying, if people say that I'm a dog, so be it. She's saying here, Jesus... I'm willing to get down anywhere I need to be in order to get this problem with my child fixed. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. If it means people calling me a dog, I'll do it. Understand this, you haven't gotten to where you need to be to get your problems solved with your child until you're willing to take any place that God gives you. 
When you're willing to say, if it's necessary for me to be, to, to be counted to this old world as, a, as an old dog, if I have to get down on my face and, and agonize and pray, I'm going to do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary to get this problem with my child solved. Then you're on the way to getting your problem solved. She says, Jesus, I don't care about what's on the table. Jesus, I'll just take the crumbs. Let me ask you this morning, would you be willing to take the crumbs? You know, all of us are wanting to, to feast at the table. But what about the crumbs? I'd rather have the crumbs that come from Jesus' table than anything that comes from the devil's table. One crumb that comes from Jesus is better than all this world has ever offered. You, you remember, many, many of you who are older remember George Beverly Shea who used to sing with Billy Graham at his, at his crusades. He, he used to sing a song, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Do you remember the last words? This world affords today. The crumbs of the table of Jesus will feed your hungry soul and will satisfy the longing of your heart and will meet the needs of your life far beyond whatever this world is able to offer. When you come to Jesus, here's the important point. You don't just get the crumbs from the table because if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, what are you? You're a child. You're a child of God. You're sitting there as an heir of Jesus Christ. And all the luxuries of Christ are lo that are loaded on his table are yours. That's amazing. That's an amazing master. But I want you to see one last thing. The appealing miracle. Look at verse 28, if you will. When that woman was willing to put herself wherever she needed to be in order to just get the crumbs off of the table of the Lord Jesus, then Jesus in verse 28 makes a marvelous promise to her. Notice what he says. He answers to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Now notice, O woman, great is your faith. That's the second person that you'll find in, in the New Testament that he compliments for great faith in, in Matthew's gospel. If you go back to Matthew 10, verse 8, the Bible says that he complimented the centurion, who was also a Gentile, for his great faith. Jesus always responds to faith. Jesus Christ is always pleased when we're willing to trust him, when we're willing to put our total confidence in him, when we're willing to commit ourselves unto him. Do you know what great faith is? It's a faith that lays hold of Jesus Christ and won't let him go until he blesses you. That's great faith. And Jesus says to her, be it done for you as you desire. In other words, Jesus was saying, you name it. That's what you do when you have a problem. 
That's what you do when you have a child problem or any other kind of problem. You wrestle with God in prayer, and then God works in your life through the midst of that problem, and it drives you to your knees, and it drives you to the Word of God. And along the way, God shows you a promise, and faith lays hold of that promise of God and won't let that promise go. Finally, we see the performance of that miracle in verse 28. Notice the last phrase there, the last sentence. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You may say, I don't even know where my child is. Your wayward child's totally out of your sight. I want to tell you that's all right. Because that child isn't out of God's sight. Distance isn't a problem with Jesus. I could just see that woman on her way home. Big smile on her face. Singing like we did earlier. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me, wilt be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. You can just hear that woman singing something like that because she's on her way home. She's heard from Jesus, whatever it is. And from that very moment that Jesus spoke, her daughter's been healed. Somebody may have asked her, why are you so happy with the kinds of problems you have? And she would have said, I'm happy because my daughter's all right. The devil's out of her life. How do you know that? Because Jesus said so. She was standing on the promise of God, the promise of Jesus. I like this statement given over in Romans chapter 4, verse 21, that talks about a passage in the Old Testament. Remember when in the Old Testament, when Abraham was getting ready to offer his son, Isaac? And it's, and it's a word about Abraham. When God had promised Abraham, he was going to have a little boy. And the Bible says that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You can live by that. You can stake your whole eternity on the confidence that what Christ has promised, he's able to perform. He's still doing it. I've known people who've had problems with their children that were just driving them crazy. They just kept praying and they kept loving them and they kept talking to them. 
and just being what God wanted them to be. And they agonized and they struggled. And I've seen them with their hearts so heavy and the load so heavy. And the devil was trying to get them to give up, but they just kept holding on to the promise. And now they've made it through. And they're saying what he has promised, he's able to perform. Think about this. Many of God's greatest saints had problems with their children. To have a problem with a child doesn't necessarily say that you've been, you, you haven't been all God wanted you to be. Not to have a problem with a child is not necessarily to say you've always been all you ought to be. Understand this, God can break through and God can change that child and they can begin actively serving Jesus. Some who are here this morning, some who may be watching online, some of you parents have a problem. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Lay hold of God and don't let go. You're here as a young person this morning and you're that person that your mom or your dad's praying for. Aren't you tired of letting the devil run your life? Jesus had compassion on her and he has compassion on us. Oh, that we would have a faith like this woman. A faith that won't let go till God answers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if there's one thing I know that you have taught us as parents, there's going to be problems. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be struggles. Sometimes because of things we've done or haven't done, we're reaping sometimes the rewards of those things. Sometimes we're living everything we need to and doing everything we ought to. that child is making their decisions. Father, we've learned through the agony to pray for our children. And I pray, God, this morning we've learned from this woman who is from Cana, Lord, that when we've got a problem, we can try to go to the world, we can try to seek help in this world, but ultimately the place and the source that we ought to go to is you. So, Lord, if there's any person who's here this morning and they're having a problem with a child or they're having any kind of problem, Lord, help them to know they need to take it to Jesus right now. Not to wait, not to put it off any longer. Help us, Lord, to realize there's not a single one of us here who are perfect parents. Help us, Lord, to understand that truth, but to understand you are a perfect God. And that our child isn't too far out of your view. You know exactly what they're going through. You know the thoughts they're thinking when they go and slam the door and are in the room by themselves. Father, you know the thoughts that are going through their minds. And so we just pray, God, we uplift our children to you and we place them in your hands. And we ask God, Lord, for you to help us have mercy on us, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us direction to be the godly parents we need to be to keep those lines of communication open, to live before them, not to just tell them, here's how you ought to do, but to live it, to be that example ourselves. Lord, there are some of us who are struggling this morning, and I just pray we'll come to the altar. Lord, that we'll come to Jesus with our problem. And we'll say, here it is, Lord. I need you.
Lord, there's some who are here this morning who their greatest problem is is they don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And they're trying to fight this battle alone. And so, Father, I pray that they'll come this morning to surrender their heart and their life to Jesus, to say, dear God, here I am. I know I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe he died on that cross, and I believe he was buried in the tomb, and that he arose on the third day, that he did all of that in my place, took the punishment I deserved so that I could be forgiven. Jesus, come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Lord, if there's someone like that this morning, let them come to publicly profess that faith in Christ. Maybe there's a child who needs to come this morning. Maybe there's a young adult who needs to come this morning. Maybe there's a husband or maybe there's a wife, a mother, a father who needs to come. Lord, I pray for your will to be done. Maybe you're leading some here this morning, Lord, to become a part of this fellowship. Whatever decisions need to be made, Lord, we give it all to you and we ask for you to answer. In the silence of the moment, hear our prayer. And Lord, we know you hear us and we expectantly look forward to the great answer you're going to give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 294, Brother Mike, come and lead us. Will you come this morning as the Lord lays on your heart? You can be seated for just a moment. 
This is Carson Pearson. Uh, last week? Week before last. Week before last. Uh, he gave his heart and his life to the Lord Jesus Christ at, at the kids' camp, and we just praise the Lord for that, for what God has already been working in his heart, but he just made that decision then, wants to come and, and follow through with believer's baptism, becoming a part of our church. Right, if you're glad for his decision this morning, would you say amen? Amen. We're so excited for your decision. They're going to give a few announcements here in just a moment, but we'll have you come back up. And you come by as you walk to the fellowship hall and give him the right hand of fellowship and let him know how glad you are for his decision. You can have a seat right there. Brother. What a wonderful day. Um, just a few announcements. Um, so uh, we have a few prayer requests. Uh, Please continue prayer for Mrs. Beth Kidd, Nathan Miller, and uh, Libby Kine, uh, Rick Miller's mother, is uh, going through some issues. Please pray for those who have lost loved ones, uh, the Griffin family, Bob Foley and his family, and Mrs. Joe Bates. Uh, don't forget, as I said, fifth Sunday's dinners today. Uh, and also, uh, Aaron Murray, she's having surgery this week, so please keep her in your prayers. Um, and also, Matt has asked me to, to say that we are, kid, Children's Church is growing, so anyone who can volunteer to help us at the Children's Church would be greatly appreciated. Um, and uh, don't forget tonight, it's Fifth Sunday Sing, so come and join us in fellowship tonight as well. Any other announcements? Okay. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and the message that we heard today, and please be with us as we go through this week. Thank you for the meal that's been prepared for us today and bless it for nourishment for our bodies and bless those who are prepared to the Lord. Please go with us through this week, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can come stand with him if you want.